welcome everyone. Grateful to have you along for uh, our online uh, service uh, today. And so we, uh, we're going to jump right into part seven of a series that we began at the beginning of the year called Building a Biblical Worldview in 2022. And Realize there's many, many different topics that we, uh, that we can talk about in our life that, that are affected by our worldview. Our, our worldview, uh, we said it's like glasses. You don't, you don't often look at them. You look through them and, and assume that you're seeing correctly. And we just simply said that sometimes it's good to take them off and just take a look and say, you know, is this the lens that I want to look at my world through? Uh, we realize that uh, our worldview affects all of our actions and our interactions. The way we respond to things, is, it's because of the way we see them. And so it's important that we see them correctly. And as, as Jesus followers, we've, uh, we've challenged ourselves uh, over the last number of weeks to say, why don't we do it like Jesus did? And he based his worldview on scripture, on the truth of, of, uh, of, of the word. And so we've, we've said the same thing. What does scripture say about, well, Everything, anything that we can, can we, we can know about life and about uh, uh, God's design for things. Do we think Christianly about it? And so the last number of weeks, we talked about things like humanity. Is humanity inherently good? We, we talked about the design of marriage and, and family. And, and do we have a biblical worldview of government and how to interact and act in response to them? Then we talked about sexuality a couple of weeks ago. And last week, we talked about just the, the term Christianity and, and the gospel. Do we actually think Christianity? about the term Christian. And, and so to, to, for this session, we want to talk about, do we think Christianly about the church? Do we think Christianly about the church? Do we have a biblical worldview of what the church is all about? And uh, as I was prepping for this, I realized that we talk about the church a lot uh, because it's, it's something that, that God is doing on the planet and we get to be a part of. And so there's, there's sermons and messages like uh, crazy on our website, our Spotify and wherever else about this topic of church. And so I don't want to try and cover all of those bases. I wanted to try and think about just uh, one small segment of that in relation to, uh, to, to the culture that we live in today. There's many different worldviews when it comes to the topic of church, especially in our world. Uh, you know, a couple of weekends ago, I was walking down the street in Ottawa, and I passed this church, and it caught my attention. It's uh, it's St. Saint, um, Patrick's Basilica, and I, I couldn't, like, this place is massive, and it's really difficult to get a picture of, and even even trying to find an online photo of it was impossible, so I actually had to go on Google Maps and try try and get a thing, because it's, it's this massive building that had other buildings surrounding it, and oftentimes when people think of the word church, this is, you know, when in culture, this is the image that comes to mind. A, a beautiful, elaborate, old building. And, uh, you know, the, when, when, I, when I saw that, I was like, man, you can, you can be in awe of the, of the uh, architecture and the, and the time and effort. And, and just the fact that this was built, you know, however many hundreds of years ago that they were able to do it, it's, it's incredible. But then uh, as I was walking along there, I noticed a sign. And, and uh, as I read the sign, it, it simply said this, Masses for Sunday Obligation. And I stopped and I looked at him. I wasn't raised Catholic. And so I, I wasn't, when I saw the word obligation, I pointed out to my buddy and was like, huh, yeah, it's, you know, that, that's what they think. And they post it right on the side, you know, Sunday services are an obligation. And I know and much of our culture would think the same thing. Even some, some people who spend their, their weekends in uh, church buildings or watching online services. It's like, it's this obligation. It's this moral or legally bound. They feel like, you know, it's my duty to do. And, they, and it feels like obligation. It's not, obligation is not always seen as a positive word. You know, I was thinking about that, you know, with Valentine's Day having just passed. Nothing says love like, hey, honey, I felt obligated to get you roses and chocolates for Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. 
right? There's, the, there's no love in that, in that sentence when the word obligation is there. And yet we'll see as we uh, finish uh, later on that there, there's, a, there's a real positive side to this thing of obligation. But in culture, it seems to be negatively seen. And then we also see, you know, the, that cultural view of it just being ir- like an irrelevant um, uh, social club. Really, that church, so to many, they just look at it like, well, I mean, it's like the Lions or, you know, uh, the, the, the Cub Scouts or, you know, the, 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 the church is kind of like, you know, an old ladies knitting and gossip group. And to be honest, some churches, that's kind of all that they are. Uh, there's, you know, and, and when I think about this and how, you know, it being irrelevant, you know, when the little old ladies are knitting all the stuff that we're never going to wear, don't tell them that, you know, that they, they put their heart and soul into it. Uh, but, but then there's churches that will talk about stuff that nobody is ever going to listen to or cares about. And it's like this thought, ah, they're just irrelevant. And, you know, I, I, was, I was challenged by this because way back early on in, uh, 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 during COVID when they were shutting down the churches in Ontario, uh, and we were chatting with the MPs and trying to, as pastors, find out why, why are they doing this? And one of the MPs just simply told me, he's like, hey, when, when, when the MPs who don't go to church, when they think about church, what do they think about? They, they in their mind, they picture churches are full of frail, vulnerable old people who are almost dead. So we need to shut those down so that we save their lives. And this MP happened to go to a, a church that was, you know, 600 people strong and full of young people. But the other MPs, their thought was like, the churches, young people and churches, no. You know, the, the, they're an irrelevant kind of old folks club. And so we have these views where it's like, well, it's an obligation or it's like, you know, it's irrelevant. Uh, but even lately, there's this much stronger feeling that we get from culture towards the church. And it's this, it's this word hatred. That, you know, the media hasn't really helped uh, with this, causing, you know, people to think, you know, things at the convoy and different things of Christians and the, and the church's response to things. It's just like, there's this, this hatred towards that, it being stirred up. And, and we'd, we'd be like, you know, easily want to just, oh, blame the media for doing all that. But to be honest, the church itself hasn't really helped in that department, you know, as uh, historically. They've said things, they've done things that, that have caused the, 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 the hatred to be against them. And we really shouldn't be surprised. We really shouldn't be surprised that, the, that, there's, that there may be a, a hatred towards the church. Um, Jesus, in his conversation with his disciples, he actually warned them that this, this type of thing would happen at the, at the end of the age. Uh, Matthew talks about it. We're going to look at Mark, uh, Mark's account, Mark 13, verse 13, just one verse. He says this, everyone, Jesus is saying to them, everyone's going to hate you. Why? Because you're my followers. That, that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, hey, you know, I can promise you this is why they're going to hate you. But he says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Um, that that's you know if there's a hatred because you're a follower of Jesus you know you're doing you're you're following him you're you're living out a life of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and people hate you for that um, that's not wrong you know but the fact that people just hate you because you're a Christian like you know they they're tossing you know verbal rocks at you because you're a Christian uh, that doesn't mean that you know oh I'm hated you know for being a Christian that could be right uh, so many times Christians have 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 said unnecessary things that have brought on this hatred. It has nothing to do with following Jesus. But the truth Jesus said is that there will be this, this hatred uh, for the followers of Christ. And so, you know, as, uh, as Jesus followers in this day and age, that's something that, you know, we just need to be expectant of. And as a result, prepared in how we would respond. And how do we respond? Our worldview. Because we will act and react to people 
and situations in our life based on how we see them. So it's so important for us to, to be able to see it clearly. You know, last week we talked about what it really means to be a Christian. That a Christian is somebody who is, recognizes their need for a Savior, understands they've been saved by grace and by the mercy of God and His kindness. You know, I think if, if, we, if we slow down and as true, genuine Jesus followers remember that, uh, then it's like, you know, that, that idea that we would pass that on or extend that to others, that it's, it's still God's kindness that's drawing them to, uh, to repentance. Uh, and the truth is, it's just broken people. You know, the church is full of broken people as well. And broken people have offered, you know, the, 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 the grace of Christ, the mercy of Christ, and the, you know, the kindness of Christ with like this twinge of judgment and whatever else and this looking down our nose at people. Um, but that's, that's not the kindness of Christ. And, and as, uh, as, as his followers, that is where we're saying, you know, that we would speak you know, the truth in love, that we recognize that Jesus was full of grace and truth uh, and that that, that, that that mixture would be there. Um, and so we just said that simply recognizing that no matter how, no matter how we live our lives, there's going to be this potential for hatred. And that's, it's part of the way culture sees the church. And we talked about a number of weeks ago where it's, you know, not wanting to have God in their knowledge. Well, the church is one of those things that brings God into the, into their knowledge. And and not everyone loves that. So tonight we want to take a look at what Scripture teaches us about the church and our purpose. And I think, like I said, it's not the overall full extensive thing. It's simply taking a, a, a tidbit of how it affects us in, in this day and age. You know, most of the New Testament, actually, from Acts all the way to Revelation, is the story of the church and the encouragement on how to live as a church. Like, we could, we could preach uh, for years on that topic alone. But tonight's hopefully just relevant to today and today's culture. Um, I was recently listening to uh, somebody who was speaking about um, the side effects, they said, of the past two years. This wasn't a Christian. This was just uh, somebody online. He was saying, he, you know, there's been these unfortunate, these unfortunate byproducts uh, of our attempts to protect the world from a virus that we, that we now have, are, are realizing or, or, or seeing that have come to the surface. And he just mentioned a bunch of them. And, and a few of them that just jumped out at me. Like he, he said, there's a lack of meaningful social connection. Even a bunch of us were talking the other day and saying, yeah, it's strange when you get around a, a larger group of people. It, it feels odd. Like we, it's been so long since we've been around large groups of people that, that even that, that ability to connect in meaningful ways with, with people seems to, be, seems to be skewed a little bit. And then he said, you know, there's this lack of meaning and purpose in people. They just don't, they just don't have any sense of, of um, purpose. He says many of them, and he, he had um, uh, referenced a poll that had uh, uh, asked a question of like 140 different countries, and people were just sleepwalking through their job. He said, it's like this, this thing, it was, they just didn't have that sense of like, get up and I've got purpose for, for, for why I'm alive. He mentioned that there's a, a heightened sense of anxiety. And this underlying aggression as a result that just be get, gets taken out on different people. And then as I, as I heard it, like instantly I thought, well, I know the solution for all of this. I know the solution for all of this. And I was like, it's the church. Like the, God has designed a solution for this problem that we have right now. Uh, that's kind of widespread, this lack of um, meaningful social connection, the lack of meaning and purpose, uh, this heightened sense of anxiety or this, you know, underlying aggression. The church is actually the answer to all of those things. And I thought, man, what a great opportunity we have right now in this day and age. If this is what's happening in our, in our planet, man, the, the answer, it's right here, right now. And it's, 
It's a it's an incredible uh, opportunity for the church, it, regardless of what happens politically in our country. It's an incredible opportunity for the church. So the gospel writers actually tell us um, that the church was God's idea. And as I read and I was thinking through this, I was just so inspired as, as uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke t- tell us that, you know, it was, Luke tells us actually how Jesus was in the, in the desert being tempted uh, by the devil. And then as he came out of, the, out of the wilderness, he went to his hometown. It's kind of his first sermon. And it says in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, as he's standing in front of his, his, own, uh, his own, the people he grew up with in his own home church. And he says to them, as he reads from the scroll, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. It's a scroll from Isaiah. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see and the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Verse 21, then he began to speak to them and said, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. This was something that they had read for hundreds of years as a Jewish culture, always looking forward to that day where that savior would come, that that person who would bring good news would come. And and he's like, hey, listen, I'm it. What Isaiah wrote about, he was pointing to me and Jesus announces like, I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm it. And as Others began to follow Jesus around, realizing the miraculous power that he had and the, the ability he had to, to teach in a way that had authority that they, they had never seen before. They would just gravitate to him. And, and uh, as uh, Jesus was with his disciples, you know, they were walking, doing a road trip, and uh, Jesus was asking them some questions. He's like, yeah, so you know, ask them who people thought he was. And, and uh, he's wondering, is this, is, this getting, is this getting into their hearts and minds of who I really am? And he asks Peter, he's like, hey, who do, who do you say that I am? And Peter's like, man, you're, you're it. You're like who you said you were. You're, you're the, the Messiah, the Savior. You're the Son of the living God. And that's where we hear Jesus' first revelation uh, 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 or revealing of his future plan. And he says to Matthew 16, 18, he's like, Peter, upon this rock, you know, that, that understanding that you have, that uh, I'm it. He's like, I'm going to build everything on that truth. He says, what am I building? I'm going to build a gathering, a church uh, that the gates of hell won't be able to stand against. He's like, I'm going I'm to gather people around that one truth. You know, Matthew and Mark later on would tell uh, how Jesus, after three years of teaching these uh, disciples what it meant to, to live like him and to be a follower of him. He then sends them out saying, you know, I, I'm not going to be with you in body, but I'll be with you in spirit. And now go and, and do, go and, and, and uh, um, build the, the church. And here's how he says it. Mark 16 and Matthew 28 recorded for us. Mark 16 says, then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news. What did he say in his first service? He said, I've come to preach good news. And for three years, that's what he did. And now he sends them out saying, hey, now you go. You go and you preach good news to everyone. What's that good news? Well, that there's going to be captives will be released. The blind are going to see. The oppressed will be set free. The Lord's favor has come. And he says, and anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. He says in verse 19 of uh, Matthew 28, Therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach the disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, Luke tells us in the book of Acts how the church, those disciples did what Jesus said. And, uh, uh, how Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that was on Jesus, as He said, "I've been anointed." The Spirit of the Living God is upon me. The very same Spirit of the Living God was upon them, and they, uh, they, uh, it came on men and women, old and young, and they went out and did exactly what Jesus commanded them to do. 
they went out and as a result, they built this thing called the church, the gathering. And the gathering happened in many, many different places. And as I thought about this, I realized that God's design for the church, we, we noticed a couple of things through this. Number one is that the church was um, countercultural by design. That what Jesus was calling these guys to was totally different than anything else that they had ever seen. It, it would, you know, countercultural means that it's governed by a different set of morals and values than, than, than the rest of culture. And we see that, this, this truth of the, of the church and of Christianity, there's a different set of morals. There's a different set of uh, values that, they, that, that we hold to um, that it, they don't evolve with culture and they don't devolve with culture. There, there's, something, there's something solid that remains with those, um, those, those values and those morals. In, in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples before he leaves. And they're talking about, you know, who gets to be the greatest in the kingdom. And because Jesus has this kingdom, he's like, fellas, this kingdom's like an upside down kingdom. It's like, it's backwards of everything else you've ever seen. And here's how he describes it. Verse 25, Jesus called them together and said, hey, you know that the rulers in this world, they lord it over people. He's like, you see that everywhere. That's how they, that's how they rule. Officials, they flaunt their authority over those who are under them. Verse 26, but among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be the leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man cannot, um, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, one of the translations says, you know, you see the rulers of the world, they lord it over, but not so with you. Not, not so with you. That they were all like clamoring for these top positions. He's like, no, 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 hold on a second. The church, the gathering, it's the opposite. You want to be great in the kingdom? Be more like this little child. You want great faith? Trust like they trust. He's like, you want to be, you want to be the leader? Well, get busy washing feet and be the servant because that's how this one works. And I imagine them looking at each other like, well, that's not what we wanted. He's like, yeah, but that's the kingdom that will turn the world upside down. And Luke tells us that they did get that. And his Holy Spirit came on them. They, they lived that out. That gathering, they would meet together. They would eat together. They cared for one another. They carried one another's burdens. They shared with one another. Uh, I've often said there's like a hundred one another scriptures in the New Testament. And it's like, uh, I think it's Andy Stanley who says they one another, one anothered. It was like whatever it was that they could do around each other. That is like what their heart was all about. It was all about one another. The church was for the church. They were united in it. And then we also realized the church was not just for the church. The church was for the world. When I think about that, I believe the church is still for the world. You know, when I see, you know, the, 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 the issues that were raised earlier, that there's this lack of social, meaningful social connection. I'm like, man, that's what the church is all about. Real discipleship is like, you're in each other's lives. You know when someone's, you know, not going through, you know, not doing so hot or, uh, you know, because you recognize, you, you know them so well. It's just this thing of being um, part of the gathering, not, not, a, not a service you attend, but a people group that you know and know you uh, deeply. And it's, you know, that these, this group of people were encouraged. You, you, you're, you're all part of the body of Christ. You play all these different roles. Ephesians chapter 4, uh, Paul explains it even more, but they realized that they had an integral purpose, that they were God's body on the planet. I mean, that if that doesn't give meaning to a person's life or purpose to their life, I don't know what would. But each and every one of us and you today, you're, you have a God-given, hardwired purpose and meaning. There is only one you. 
There's never going to be another you. There's no one else who can do on this planet what God has specifically designed and wired for you to do. You know, we live in, in, in culture where it's like, ah, it's just groups of people. You know, let's put everybody in a group. Let's just, there's, there's no need for this, you know, individuality in the sense of, of, of purpose and meaning. And yet God wired you for that. He calls you his masterpiece. I mean, he, th- there's something about that that you find the sense of purpose and meaning just simply by being connected to his family, the church. You know, John would later explain this thing about anxiety because he described that God being perfect love casts out fear. You, you, when you're connected to love, fear just doesn't have a place to stand. You know, as fear always tries to creep in, it's just that reminder, man, you're loved by God. You are loved by God. You're his kid. And that's that, that realization of, Dad, I can just put these things in your hand. I remember a number of you know, months ago saying that, that sentence of my prayer, simply, you got this. When I don't got this, God, you got this. When things seem out of control in our, in our, in our land, God, you, you got this. You got this. You know, Paul would remind them later to, to remain grateful. And if you got things going on, churning in here and in here to say, God, I'm thankful for who you are and what you've done in my life. And I put this in your hand. And you encourage the Philippians to say, the peace of God is going to just come. And, and it doesn't make sense to anyone else around. But man, as you walk through that tough time, you walk through it with this, with this peace. You know, you hear about that. It's like, man, those are like three of those main problems. And then this underlying aggression. You know, he just says, no. My kingdom's not going to be this kingdom of might and power and we're going to take over by force. No, his kingdom would simply raise up people who chose love and peace as their, as their marching orders. And as a result, they actually end up taking down the whole Roman Empire. You know, within a, within a couple hundred years, simply the Roman Empire no longer exists. Jesus' kingdom flourishing on the planet. So it doesn't really matter what's happening in the, the other spheres as long as we realize that his church, he's building it. And the gates of hell will not stand against it. And so, you know, I believe those truths are no less important today than they were back then, that it was designed to be uh, this counterculture movement. And then secondly, designed to influence culture, not avoid it. You know, I think there's this thought sometimes that it's like virtuous Christianity to kind of avoid all of, you know, avoid being around certain types of people, groups of people, to just avoid culture as much as possible and withdraw from the world. We can see sometimes, you know, that, that um, the, the monastic lifestyle where it's like living in a cave away from everybody else. There's, a, there's some that do it, that, that, that type of uh, lifestyle with a whole bunch of other people. And that's a different thing. But it's, it's like, you know, I just, we got, we got to be separate from the world. And, you know, you realize that Jesus, in his most famous sermon on the Mount, he revealed, like, as he was teaching people, what he was about to unleash on the world called the church, that it was meant to be in the world. It was meant to be, a, meant to be in the world in this, in, for the opportunity of influence. Matthew 5, verse 13, it's those famous, those famous words where he's like, you're the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. And he talks about how you're the light of the world. What good is salt, though, if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? No, it's going to be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. And as he's talking about them being in the world, being an influence in the world, he, he, he leaves them with this really, really important thing. He uses a word picture so that they understand this truth that he's communicating. When he talks about salt and light, they understand that salt's not meant to stay in the shaker. That's not where it's meant to be or in the bowl. It's meant to be, it's meant to be uh, used. Light, light doesn't, like light's only valuable in darkness. You know, if you've got enough light and you, say, you, you don't walk around your house in the middle of the day saying, honey, where's the flashlight? You don't need it. You only need it when the power goes out. You know, the salt... As Paul was saying, uh, Paul talks about it, but as Jesus is talking about this, this salt, 
Paul had mentioned it to the Corinthians saying, I don't want you to like avoid the world. I wasn't telling you not to hang out with sinners. He's like, how else are they going to hear the gospel? You need to be in their, in their lives, but don't get caught up in, in, the, in the worldly way of living. He's like, you're, but you're meant to be there. You're meant to be salt. You're meant, meant to be light. When we think about salt, Jesus says to them, the salt wasn't meant to adopt the flavor of whatever, whatever it's flavoring. You know, it's not, it doesn't like, you know, they're eating some, uh, well, I was going to say ham, but they probably wouldn't have been. They would say, say beef, you know, eating some beef and the salt doesn't, you don't put salt on it to, to be able to um, um, have more of a beef flavor. No, you're, you're, you're uh, accentuating that flavor with the, with the salt. And if the salt doesn't have a, a different flavor, he just simply says it's, it's worthless. And what is he comparing to? You know, the idea that the church would, would be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. The danger for the church is that if it, becomes, if it tries to become too much like culture, if it adopts too much of culture uh, in, in, in its attempt to reach it, it may do the exact opposite. It may become so culturally sensitized that it, that it no longer has the ability to, to, to add that flavor, that it no longer has the ability to be salt. And if it loses its flavor, what does he say? It's useless. It's worthless. This thing is going to be different than all of culture around it. I like how Paul said, too, that he's like, I become all things to all men that I might win some. He's like, my whole idea, if I'm going to become like culture at all, it's only to win them. It has nothing to do with being like culture. And I think that the, as the church, that can be that, that thing of saying, hey, we're going to be like culture to win people and then somehow get lost and just end up being like culture. And we, and we, we talked about that a number of weeks ago of remaining in that, those truths that never change. You know, salt was also used to preserve food in that day and age. And you know, I think that's where the church is also called to preserve culture, not preserve it in the sense that, oh, we're going to just, you know, keep culture the way it is. But this, this, this thought that it's almost to protect culture from just going a million miles an hour in the wrong direction. We, we looked in Romans 1 where it says the very first step to, to a degenerative culture is that they don't want God in their knowledge. They don't want God in their knowledge. And as a result, they, they take steps in this, this direction. What happens with the church? What happens when it's salt and light is its role in culture is simply to uh, keep bringing God back into the knowledge. Why does he say, go preach the good news? What's the good news all about? The good news is about God. The good news is about Jesus. The fact that there is a God and he knows your name. And one day you are going to meet him. And one day you will give an account for the, the things that you've done in your life. And if you realize that puts you in a bad place, well, good thing that you realized it soon enough because it gives you the opportunity to reach out to him and say, God, I, I've messed up my life. I'll, I'll, I'll accept your salvation, your forgiveness. God, would you help me to get my eyes on you? You're the one who can save me. And he and draws them into this place. That doesn't happen though if the good news, if the gospel isn't being spoken out there in culture. And so that's the encouragement to the Jesus followers of the church. Keep preaching the good news. We talked about it last week. If you're like, I don't know what it is, listen to last week. To preserve the culture uh, by speaking up for those who can't speak for themselves. To speak up for godly things like the, the sanctity of human life before birth, uh, at the end of life. That there's a sanctity of life that, that all uh, all life matters. Uh, this thing too, that all humanity has value. There's a value to every human being. That, that's a God idea. You know, that there's God-given freedoms and God-given rights that, that men can't take away. That, that's a godly uh, uh, thing. You know, think about William Wilberforce and him and, and other believers standing up to, to oppose slavery. Why? Because it was that, that God-ordained uh, thing on the inside of them. 
But then as well, not just to say, oh, it's all about, you know, freedom and rights, but speaking the truth in love, realizing that, you know, the laying down one's life for others. Finding the balance in between those things, saying, I'm not, it's not all about me, and it's not all about what I want. It, 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 like Paul said to the Philippians, have the same attitude of, as Christ, who put others ahead of himself. It is finding that balance in where that is. And it's, you know, where do we find that? Just as Holy Spirit leads out our lives from the inside, that, that just like we said earlier, that we would be anointed by his Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, Paul writes in Romans, that he lives in you. And that we would understand that and, and not understand it here, but experience that. And if you're like, well, I don't know if I've experienced it. Maybe later, just take a few minutes and say, God, would you just fill me with your Holy Spirit? I, I don't even think the words of the prayer have to be correct. If he knows the desire of your heart. He will flood your heart with his Holy Spirit, with his love. Why do we need it? Matthew 10, Jesus simply says as he was sending the disciples out, he's sending out 72 of them uh, out into, um, to, to reach, reach uh, the, the 10 cities in that area. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. He's like, I'm sending you in to a culture that is going to be possibly hostile to you. They, he's like, and when you get arrested, it wasn't like an if. It was like, these things are going to happen. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Let me give you, I'll give you the words how by the Spirit. It'll be the Spirit of God speaking through. And I think we need that more than ever. He says in the following verse, he says, be wise as serpents and, and gentle or as harmless as doves. He's like, man, you, you need to be sharp and shrewd in the days that you live in. But your approach to it has always got to be with peace, with gentleness, with that, with that kindness of heart. And that's the call to the Jesus followers, the call to the church, that it would be an influence in culture, not, uh, not just simply avoiding. And then finally, the last thought, just that the church has been designed by God to rescue, to rescue. That's what Jesus said when he says, you know, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. What's the gates of hell? It's the entry point to hell for the souls of men. It's like these eternal souls. He's like, man, that's the gates of hell want humanity in the worst way. Sin is never satisfied. It will take as many people as, as, as it can. And, and Jesus is like, man, my church is the thing that's going to be there to, to rescue people from, from themselves, rescue people from the brokenness of sin. And as Jesus says it, like he, he automatically um, describes a spiritual battle. And then as a church, man, we, we, we are to be armored up with truth, with, with salvation, with righteousness, with faith, uh, and, and having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and having the belt of truth on because it is a spiritual battle. And that battle remains, regardless of what happens in the physical, it is ultimately a spiritual war that we are in. You know, Luke, um, he tells of Jesus sending these disciples out into that area. And, and here's his call to them in Luke chapter 10. He says, these were his instructions to them. He says, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. He's like, so pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest and ask him to send out more workers into the fields. And now you go and remember that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. There it is, that st statement again. I'm like, I'm sending you out into hostile territory. But what's the prayer? God, that you would send more. Why? Because the harvest is ripe. You know, when John uh, writes about Jesus' encounter with a woman at, at a well outside of Samaria, um, as, he's, as he's there, these, he has the, the people from the village come out to, uh, to see him because he's just told this woman everything she's ever done, and she realizes that, that Jesus truly is the Savior of the world. 
As the disciples come back, they look and they're like, see those people coming towards them. People that they don't associate with, they don't like. And Jesus says to them, guys, fellas, he says, I know like you guys talking, you know, probably they're talking on the way. Ah, there's about four more months till we have till the harvest time. We got to be back, you know, back home for harvest time. He's like, fellas, he's like, well, you don't realize you think there's four months until the harvest. He's like, look right now. Because look, the harvest is ripe. The harvest is ready. He said, and what was he talking about? People, people coming towards Jesus, needing hope, needing salvation, needing answers to the things that were going on in their life. And he's like, listen, don't miss the moment. Don't miss the moment. Think about that right now with everything going on around us. There are people looking for hope, desperately looking for life looking for, for answers to the things going on in life. And I say the harvest is ready now. Yeah, it's February, but look around because the harvest is truly ready. You know, it's interesting because we've been seeing, you know, like people come into the church and uh, as we ask, you know, what, what made you come, come to Kingsway? Then the, the number one answer was someone invited me. And I think about any person who's come to faith in Christ. What was it? Well, somebody invited them. You know, I think about even uh, on the streets of Ottawa where people are giving their lives to Christ. <laughs> they came up there to like, you know, yell and whatever. But, but they met some Jesus followers up there who simply just said, listen, the real freedom that you need, it's here. It's right here. You know, if you, 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 might have, you might have civil liberties and civil freedom, but if you don't have it here, you still lose. You still lose. And if they've given their lives to Christ, and that's the church. The church on a mission. And man, I just pray that it stirs up in your heart as you're watching and listening, that, that it would stir something up in you. If you're part of his church, his family, that, that you'd realize, man, we have who knows how much time, but it's, it's always shorter than we think. To live a life on mission. You know, this, this uh, weekend we'll be having the celebration of life service for a, a woman named Karen, uh, who was a phenomenal person who lived this out, lived out this life of a life on mission for the Lord. And man, what a it, what beautiful things. We don't even have to, I mean, we, there's not enough time for us to say all the amazing things that, this, that uh, she did in her life. But we get to celebrate an amazing disciple of, of Christ and the life she lived for our Lord. It's incredible. But what about you and what about me? You know, as I read this week through Numbers, reading Numbers 16, uh, just read of the story of um, uh, Israel where there, there was a plague going through their land. People were dying. And uh, they were dying because of sin in their, in their lives. And and uh, they were getting the just, <laughs> the just punishment of it. But then there says, there ta- says there's a man named Aaron. He was like the high priest. He was the one who could go before the Lord. And it says he ran to the altar in the, in the tabernacle where the presence of God was. He ran to that place and he grabbed some coals from the altar. And then he ran out into the middle of this plague infested um, group of people. And as he stood out there, as he ran out there, he says the plague stopped at that location. I thought, man, what a picture for the church that we would run to the presence of God, not so we can feel the presence and whatever. Oh, it's good for us. You know, we're going to go, we're going to gather in these gatherings. It's so great for us. But that we would gather and be charged up by the very presence of Jesus. And then to take that, take his life and just his, his uh, anointing and his truth and, and take that to the world around us. Because it's true, you know, the greatest plague that's, uh, that's in our nation and around the world is the plague of sin. Sin is a 100% death rate. There is no worse plague than that. It's why 
10 out of 10 of us are going to die someday. And, and, and there's only one answer to that. And that is the very presence of Jesus. It's not religion. It's not, you know, some, some service you attend. It's not being part of a church. It's not being baptized into a church. It is being the church by being in relationship with the God of the church, the God of the universe through Jesus Christ. You know, I, uh, I see it with the disciples in Acts. They said, you know, don't, don't run out into start preaching until you've got Holy Spirit. You wait in Jerusalem till you have Holy Spirit. And we say the same thing. The church today, man, to be called just to that encounter with Holy Spirit, that the words that come out of your, out of your lips would be his. My, my prayer is that that's happening right now. That it's Holy Spirit's words that are grabbing you uh, in this moment. You know, to, to be anointed with his spirit, just like Jesus was, and then run to a great harvest field with true hope. You know, the call that Jesus gave them wasn't, oh, hey, build it and they will come. He's like, no, you, you go out, you go out and bring them in, bring them in. And I think about that, you know, that, that there's that word of obligation. You know, the, the, the thought isn't that we would have this obligation to, you know, watch a service online or, you know, attend a, a service in a building, but, but something deeper, this like inner conviction, this, this inner sense of obligation to be the church. And to realize, man, I have been set free to set others free. I've been reconciled to God to reconcile others to God. I've been given hope and given life, given the free gift to, in order to offer that same freedom to other people around us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16, our last verse tonight, he says, Yet preaching the good news is not something I can boast about because he said, I'm compelled by God to do it. I'm all, I feel this obligation to the Lord to, to share good news. He's like, how terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news. I mean, Paul, man, those, those words, it would, it's what caused him to live his life the way he lived it. It was his worldview that, man, the, the, the world needs the gospel and, and we have it. How can we not share it? And then finally, you know, I'm challenged by the, the words of uh, Charles Spurgeon, just inspired by him. I can't say these words in the same, in the same sense as if, they, if they've come from me. But man, am I inspired by his and may they be, be true of my life someday. He says this, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Man, what a call. As we sat around with our leadership team earlier this week, we just felt that, that desire for us to, to be in prayer for, for our nation, prayer for our leaders, even to fast and take some time to just go without food that we might be reminded to pray even more. And I'd encourage you to do the same thing. Maybe take some time this week to say, I want to commit this point to just to praying. God, stir up my heart for the loss. God, do in me what you did in those disciples in that first day and age to, to, to stir up this desire to be your church to be your church. And I think about this as we last, last two thoughts. You know, the uh, <laughs> statement by Charles Spurgeon, man, it sounds like the life-changing church that Jesus came to start. And I, I think the one thing that we have to really consider is not just the lost that are out there, but the next generation uh, as well. You know, how often do we read through the Old Testament where it was like these people like Joshua and others served their generation well. And then it says, and then in the next sentence, like, but the next generation grew up and they didn't know the Lord. They didn't know the Lord. And it's like, you see this flip flop back and forth between generations. And I'm like, what about our kids? And what about the next generation that they would 
No, the Lord, we've got the opportunity of a lifetime right now to reach out to the very next generation who will be the salt and light, who already are, but will be the salt and light as leaders in, uh, in culture. Man, like the ones that we're raising up to, to be politicians, to be uh, teachers, to, to, to doctors, wherever they're going to find themselves, but to, to be Jesus followers in those places. Man, what, what an incredible thing. You know, that the church would be a gathering place full of young people, the opposite of what culture thinks they are, but young people who know their God, who know the word, who know the truth and, and, and know the gospel and are full of courage. It's like the, the kids' message tonight was all about Esther. Esther just standing up for what's right regardless of because it's right. It's what she needed to do. It's like, I'm going to do this and it's saved the lives of a nation. Man, we need, we need those people again today and I believe, I, believe they, uh, I believe they are in our midst and I believe they're listening right now. And so in closing, you know, sometimes we can look at the world around us and, you know, if you watch the news or you hear these things, man, it can be, it can be a little uh, depressing. It can be, um, uh, you know, a little disheartening sometimes. It can, it can weigh on you. You know, you think about the anger and the emptiness and the depression and the sadness and the turmoil and the suffering, the injustice. Uh, you know, I think about that, that's, that, that each of us, each of us doesn't, you know, probably doesn't have to look too far to see that. And I was like, you know, sometimes it's in our hearts. We're like, God, when are you going to do something? God, why, why don't you do something? And as I, as I thought of that prayer, I was reminded of the words of this song by a guy named Matthew West. Let me just read a couple of the lyrics to you. He says this, I woke up this morning and I saw a world full of trouble now. I thought, how did we ever get so far down? And how's it ever going to turn around? So I turned my eyes to heaven and I thought, God, why don't you do something? He says, well, I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty, children sold into slavery. The thought disgusted me. So I shook my fist at heaven. I said, God, why don't you do something? And he said, I did. I created you. And he says, as he realized that, he goes on to say, I'm so tired of talking about how we are God's hand and feet, but it's easier to say it than it is to be. Live like the angels of apathy who tell ourselves, it's all right, somebody else is going to do something. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of life with no desire. I don't want a flame. I want a fire. I want to be the one who stands up and says, I'm going to do something. We are the salt of the earth. We're the city on a hill. So shine, 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 shine. We're never going to change the world by standing still. So no, we won't stand still. If not us, then who? If not me and you right now, well, it's time for us to do something. If not now, then when? Will we see an end to all this pain? It's not enough to do something. It's time for us to do something. I thought about that. You know, that is why God created the church. His body on the planet. His people on the planet. To, uh, to, to, to be with one another and find the strength that that brings in order to go out to a world that has uh, such a, a need. Such a need. And truly, the harvest is ripe with eternal destinies. And you and I, man, we've been positioned in this time for, for such a time as this, to be able to share that with the world. So no matter what happens around us, this is one of the greatest days for the church. <laughs> so my encouragement is to you, if you're a Jesus follower, man, would you choose to be the church? And if you're not a follower of Christ and you're listening to this, you got all the way to this point, you wonder sometimes what life is all about. And it feels like it's meaningless. And you're like, ah, I just died. What's the point? The point is that you've been uniquely wired and designed by God. His fingerprints are all over your life. The truth is that we've been born, though, into a sinful state. 
And by choice and by, you know, our brokenness, we've just turned our backs on him. Every one of us has. And when we had the option to, to, to do, do what we knew was right, we have this bent in us to do what's wrong. It's this brokenness. That, that, that brokenness is not fixable on our own accord. It takes one thing. And that's simply putting our trust in the one thing that God did for us. That he says he sent his son to the cross to give his life in place of ours. The, 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 the wages of sin is death. That's why we die. He said, but I'll lay my life down. I will take your death penalty. You're still going to physically die, but eternally, no, you're going to live forever as a result. That'll just be your stepping stone out of this brokenness and into perfection forever. And as you hear those words, if it lights up on the inside of you, like, man, there's something about this I know is true, then I just encourage you with this, just to simply repent and say, God, I, I am a sinner. I, I, I know it. I need a savior you're the only one. So God, I put my trust in you. I give my life to you. I put my life in your hands. Lead me. Make me a part of your family. And I commit my life to following you for the rest of my life, no matter what there, where that takes me. And it's the, it's the adventure that he's called us to, and I'm grateful for it. Grateful for the sacrifice he made for us. And I pray that he receives full, full benefit of that sacrifice. Can we pray together? Father, thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for this idea of the church. Thank you for the time that we live in right now and for the hope that we have to offer a world that's so in need. Lord, I thank you for the opportunities we've had as our paths cross with others. Lord, I just ask that you give us the words to say in those moments. Lord, I pray too that as we spend this, this time just in your word, in your presence, that you would just stir that up in us. That it would be like Aaron leaving, the, leaving that place but carrying the very presence with him. And that we would recognize you, Holy Spirit, wherever we find ourselves, grocery stores, gas stations, in our workplaces, sensitive to your voice, led by you. God, fill us with the love that we need and can't manufacture on our own. That we might truly live out this, this gospel of love and joy and peace. Lord, may we bring many, many people to your family as a result. Love you. Thanks for loving us first. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. And as always, before we, uh, before we let you go, we have a few th- questions we'd love for you to wrestle with, preferably with some other people, to have some conversations about it, uh, because it's, it's where Holy Spirit just helps uh, solidify what the next steps are for us as individuals rather than just corporately. So number one, what jumped out at you from today's talk? That's always the thing. It could be anything. Second is what comes to mind when you hear the word church. What, what, what was your first reaction Excuse me, or response. And then, and then uh, third, what's been your experience with church in the past? You know, maybe it's how you were raised or what, what, whatever it may be. And then finally, do you think the church is the answer to the current issues in our world? Uh, and why or why not? Uh, I'd love to he- hear your feedback on some of that. So if you feel like it, shoot me an email. Uh, and otherwise, till next time, uh, we uh, are just gratefully spent some time with us in his word. And may you continue building your biblical worldview by just studying his word, getting it in here, getting it in here, and allowing your life to be lived out uh, by it as a result. Thank you, and we love you, and we will chat again soon.